Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. Wonderful. Good. Nice to see y'all. Hello, Leonard. Good. How you doing? Well, if you want, we'll pray and stand up. We just got a couple of us up here, so we're going to need some loud voices. So we'll pray for God to just join us this morning. Father, we're here for you, uh, so we welcome you here with us. Um, we lift you up, and we praise you this morning, God. We pray that we grow um, and just be a, a great morning for you and your kingdom. Um, just uh, pray for your blessing on the word as we hear it. Pray for Leonard for peace of mind, for clarity of thought, and for us to hear what you're uh, speaking through him today. Um, just pray for... Everything going on in this season of the church, God, it's exciting, it's fun, and can get tiresome, so we just pray for your, your uh, never-ending strength and just presence with us, God, to push us through, to keep us faithful to you and everything we're doing as a church, ultimately for you and your kingdom. We love you, we give you this morning, and uh, we praise you in Jesus' name.
Kids are dismissed.
Yeah, I've been doing that one for about 30-some years, too. Just stay where you're at. Stay young. Well, happy birthday, Chuck. Okay? That's cool. All right. Well, um, we're just going to go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll move into our message time. Lord Jesus, as we take a minute and we rest in you, we take all of the things that are churning away in our hearts and our minds, and we just push the pause button, and we invite you into our hearts, into our souls, into our lives. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as you see uh, where we are at in our joys and in our struggles, that you help us to celebrate and call to mind gratitude for the blessings that are in front of us every day. And as we look at the things that we're uncertain about or the struggles that we're having, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come alongside and you would be not only that voice of encouragement, but of healing, of reconciliation, of whatever it is that we are having to um, contend with in the moment. And we thank you, Lord, that there is so much packed into your kingdom message that we feel resourced at every turn because of the way that you have shown yourself and then offered yourself and then given of yourself to your church through your spirit and enabled us to be the people that we are called to be. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we gather in your name, that we are empowered by your presence and enabled to overcome. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are able to take your word and assimilate it into our thinking and our way of life, and we're able to apply wisdom to our experiences as we face decisions and as we uh, overcome challenges, that you are the one who guides us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the ways that you've been at work in our church in the post-pandemic season. And as we've explored the books of Luke and, and certainly Daniel now, that you've given us a sense of how much things in those particular times parallel to our own, and you've given us wisdom to discern how to make that applicable in our life experience. And we thank you for allowing that to happen, and not only that, but to come alive in that as uh, it takes on its own meaning in this moment. And so as we celebrate those realities that are unseen but very real at work in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you give us a spirit of surrender to your word, that we would receive that which you have to offer us today. And um, we certainly want to offer ourselves to you so that beyond this place, we can serve you and find pathways where we can exercise our faith and fulfill our purpose on earth and bring you glory and uh, magnify your name. So as we pray these things, Father, attune our hearts and give our minds that clarity as we take the Lord's Prayer and um, we offer it to you once again. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you or a phone or any app that you access, uh, please feel free to look at Daniel chapter 6 because for the next uh, several minutes, we're going to be just exploring one more very incredible chapter from this book that um, has spoken, I think, uh, to our church and to myself and hopefully all of you guys in a way that um, it has uh, provided some clarity on some things. And as um, we go through each of these chapters, uh, there's a lot going on that uh, I'm trying to draw out, and I can't always get to the full content as we're exploring it. So we've put together uh, these study guides. If you don't have one, I encourage you to pick one up, or if you haven't picked any up, just pick up all the ones that we have available on the, on the, um, on the table in the back, and it'll bring you up to speed, uh, hopefully, on just how it is that uh, Daniel... Um, it, it has been in service to the church and to our lives uh, so meaningfully. And as we've explored that together, I think God is just using that to help us to be aligned in his purpose. Uh, so please uh, en engage with that. It's uh, five days worth of reading each week. And uh, take, take Saturday off, take a break, and then gather for worship on Sunday and hit reset. Uh, but with that said, um, this... Um, is moving in the direction of, uh, of, 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 of an accumulation of a lot of time that has happened from the beginning of the book of Daniel till now. Uh, as we read the opening pages, it was uh, at the age of about 15, 16, 17 uh, that we found Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego coming out of exile from the Holy Land and being called at Babylon to be uh, basically uh, servants for uh, the king. And because they had exceptional talents, they were recognized early on as people that uh, could be retrained the, to the Babylonian way. Well, at this point, uh, we've had a lot of water going underneath the bridge. And it's fair to say that Daniel is somewhere between, scholars estimate, 75 to 90 years of age when we're, when we're going through this story. And uh, it's a familiar story, I think. How many of you remember as a kid the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Okay. How many remember Aesop's fable with the lion? You guys remember that too? How many of you ever mashed them up before? No? Okay. Well, I guess I'm the only one then. Uh, but if you don't know that story, that's the one where the lion gets um, a thorn in his claw, right? Yeah. Okay. So don't confuse this story with that one. This is a little bit more dramatic, and, um, and we're about to find out exactly, again, where it's going to go. But as you, as you hear it as a kid, you think about Daniel, and you think about the lions, and you think about God sparing Daniel. But as an adult, you read it, and you find out there's actually a whole lot more going on that we need to consider. And in a, in a lot of ways, as I've thought about how this guy for that span of time remained faithful and is faithful finishing well, um, a, as a leader, it speaks to me because they say that uh, two-thirds of the people that go into ministry and, and do things like I do, um, two-thirds of them don't really finish very well. They either fin they, they have some big ministry failing or they just get burned out and they get cranky and mean or, you know, the whole variety of things happen. And so it is a struggle to stay spiritually fit day in and day out, year in and year out. Uh, but there are a third of, the, of pastors, for example, that are able to do that. So it gives me hope. But as I'm thinking about that 
that vocation and that calling as it relates to myself. I think about your lives and your walk with the Lord and your struggles and your commitments and how you want to stay faithful for the long haul as well. But not only that, I just think about the day in and day out, how we can bring our best self to the experience that God has put in front of us. And at a ripe old age of, let's say, 75 to 90, Daniel was able to still bring his best self. And I think it's because we discover a lot of clues in the story that says he attended to his spiritual life. He attended to his daily prayers. He attended to the Word of God. He attended to his church community with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we read about that. And all of those things help to reinforce it. But if you're going to go the long haul, um, you don't start right out of the gate saying, I'm just going to take off and I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. You have to do some things that lead up to that. And it's not just like you're bodybuilding or weight training. As much as it is, you are just working out. And I know Thanksgiving is coming up, and one of the most difficult things for all of us is to eat a whole bunch of food and then feel any, any energy after we get done eating it. Tryptophans, ball games, people, drama. Some of us just want to just kind of ease into the chair and disappear for a while. And pretty soon, you know, we are just shut down. But have you ever noticed that whenever you are eating a lot of food, and you're not doing anything to kind of work it off, that you just feel sluggish? And have you ever noticed that when you eat a lot of food, and then you work out, that all of a sudden your metabolism kicks in, and then your energy starts to resume, and that food actually starts to burn inside of you in a way that serves your energy and your strength for whatever's in front of you? Now, one thing that I can tell you is that as we're reading these stories, as we're going through um, these uh, devotionals, um, it, is, it, it is for our consumption. It's for us to eat. It's for us to be able to be nourished. But it's not just that as the end all and be all, but rather it is that for a purpose so that somehow what you're gaining here finds its best expression when we're doing something for him out there. And that's really what we'd like to see happen in our church is for each of us to be able to, to, to eat and consume the spiritual things that we uh, are able to, to, to get from this experience every week, but then find a way to see how God wants to use the energies that come from that for service. And I've really struggled with this notion because I know that as I read scripture, I see people like Daniel and like Paul and like so many people who there's always a connection between the serving and the worshiping and reading and studying. And finding that balance between the two uh, is something that uh, we want to encourage you to do. So as we look at the story, Daniel is one of those people that probably didn't weight train, but I would say he worked out. He did things that daily were routines that enabled him to be in tune with God, and then he found ways to keep active. And let's say 75 to 90, um, most people are putting you on a shelf in, in the workplace out there. And even Darius, or not Darius, but um, uh, Belshazzar 
had looked at Daniel and said, you're old, you're out of touch, and you're of no value. But an interesting thing happened as Daniel offered himself for service um, is that he was picked up very quickly and recognized that he had abilities that would service the king, and uh, he was very quickly brought to a place where he's overseeing a lot of responsibility at that age. And I keep asking myself, how did he do it? And, and, and how does that have any bearing on how you and I live out our faith? And I think the thing that happens with Daniel should happen to every believer, and that is he became one of those people that um, every day just baked in a ritual or habit that was his workout. And it, uh, it, it served him throughout the course of his life. It kept him healthy, kept him in a good place in his head. It helped him to navigate a lot of turmoil and a, a, a lot of um, a political intrigue as well as just the nastiness of being a bureaucrat. And so here he is at a later place in life, still very fit, and he's served well. He's one of those people that young people looked up to and said, I can ask that guy something, and I know that his life is so established in the word of God and the way of God that I can really get some sincere and genuine wisdom from him. Daniel's just, he's just got it down. So here we read, uh, it pleased Darius to, to, um, to appoint 120 satraps, uh, which is, um, these, are, these are like a smaller uh, probably the equivalent of state or governors uh, to rule throughout his kingdom. So it's a pretty large kingdom. And with three administrators over them, so each of these regions had their own version of like what you call a president. And one of them uh, that was appointed to that role was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So the king is thinking, I have a huge empire I am not able to micromanage it all. I need people who are aligned with my heart and my vision to govern in a way that uh, will reflect my philosophy of leadership. And Daniel is appointed to one of those roles. And so Daniel, in this mix of all these people, 120 plus a three, um, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, okay? So just imagine the scale of that. The king's like, you know what? If I play my hand right, I can actually just take a lot of vacations, enjoy, check in, and um, not work so hard if I have one person who I can trust that has high capacity, competencies, capabilities, and when I look around, I see not an old man over here. I see a very capable human being that has a boatload of experience and seems to be trustworthy. I'd like to appoint him. And you get this sense that not everybody's in agreement with that because as we read on, um, 
Uh, Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so, meaning that they basically went 20 years back, they scoured his Facebook page, they looked at any tweets that he might have done. They, they just basically went through the whole universe of Daniel's footprint on the lives of other people through time, and they found absolutely nothing. And this was upsetting to them, as it would be, because, you know, we're in that political season, aren't we? And what's it all about? Finding stuff about other people that makes them look bad. And they couldn't find a thing. And these are bright people. So, you know, they, they, they put their, their best people to work on this. And there is just nothing. And this says a lot about his spiritual fitness, that he, over the long haul, kind of kept it together. And so they're, they're, they're struggling. And at this point, it says they could find no corruption in, in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And then finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And these guys, they're, they're pretty smart here because they're, they're so used to finding ways of getting leverage over people, and they're so used to exploiting things that they connect the dots. This is some pretty dark stuff because they're thinking Daniel is committed to his God, and we've seen that. But is there a way for us to create a conflict in his life where his commitment to God is out of line with his loyalty to the king? And so the, the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king, and they said... And this is really important. May King Darius live forever. And, of course, you know, he's just eating it up. I mean, you got 120 plus, uh, you know, a couple others plus their entourage just in unison screaming his accolades. And he's newly minted here in some ways, and he's just enjoying the moment. And as they're sort of buttering him up, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, so there's a whole lot more uh, of the administration here of all of these people involved, and they have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, when the king's hearing this, from this whole cross-section of people, this whole crowd of, of, of leaders, he's pondering this. He's pondering the wisdom behind it. And he's thinking, well, perhaps they're right because if we take 30 days to discern who's loyal to the king and who's not, and where commitments lie, we'll be able to ferret, ferret out the people that shouldn't be in the mix. And so in the king's mind, he's like, that is a brilliant idea. This will definitely bring to the surface those who are with us and those who may be on the fence or who are against us. 
And so he follows the lead of these people without really thinking it through. And in the process, um, they say, now your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so they're well aware that if we just do it for 30 days, it's got, it's, it's, it's got a, a, a closed-endedness to it. And the kings actually were very careful about making new laws because oftentimes all of that power goes to their head. And, you know, I, I may have cookies over at Susie's house and they're chocolate chip and I don't like them. I'm just going to ban chocolate chip cookies for everybody for all times, you know. And it's that kind of stuff that happens over and over and over again that people like the Persians and the Medes say, hey, once it is codified in law, that is it, and so they thought, well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to honor that. We're just going to make the decree for 30 days. All of which, by design, are called to leverage the king's vanity, his ego, the law that the Persians put into, into effect in a way that says you can't alter it. And we're going to exploit Daniel's religion. And this is going to be good. I mean, I, I, you can almost see them slapping each other on the back because they know the one reason why they couldn't find any dirt on him was because he was so loyal to his God. And he's not going to compromise that at this point in, 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 his, in his career. So the king put into writing, and Daniel, of course, is actually with them because they're all called in. He knows what's going on. And he's, at a, he's got a dilemma on his hands. And if you're hearing this decree and you're thinking about your own spiritual practices and somebody's saying to you, you can't gather for worship on Sunday for 30 days or a year or whatever, you cannot pray, you cannot read your Bible, you cannot talk to anybody about Jesus, what would you do? And perhaps that, that, that may be threatening for you. It, it, it may not. But essentially, if you put yourself in a place where somebody told you, there's going to be a period of time you're just going to have to deny Jesus. What would you do? And if you don't, well, the consequences for defying the government under any kind of condition like this are pretty severe. In um, Daniel chapter 3, you guys remember <clears throat> some government defi defiance happening with three guys? And how did that end? There's a fiery furnace. People get thrown in. God provides. People not only survive, but they thrive. But then in the end, other people get thrown in, and they don't do so well. With the Persians and the Medes, they're like, hey, we don't do fire. We don't kill people with fire. Fire is a sacred thing. However, we have lions, and we've got a lot of them. And we keep them hungry because we have to make a public statement to everyone that if you defy the government... Well, this is going to be your fate, and it'll be a spectacle of such a nature that you can actually witness it if you want. 
Well, I, I don't know what it would be like to be thrown into a den of lions, but I do know this. I have a cat, and from a distance out in the yard, he looks like a black panther. But when he gets close, he, well, he's just chatty and annoying and complainy and not intimidating whatsoever. And I got, my wife and I got COVID about this time last year, and sense of smell, sense of taste, kind of left for a while. And the cat was hanging around, and the cat then got really, really sick. And we suspected that the cat got COVID. And we knew it the next year when we saw something we hadn't seen in years, and that is lots of little ground squirrels running around and a lot more mice and a cat that's just saying, I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's creatures. I'm not smelling anything. So we came to the conclusion, and I'm, I'm a dog lover. I'm no offense to the cat people, but we came to the conclusion that we're going to have to buy another cat. And it, we wrestle with that decision, but we needed a predator. And we have two freeloaders, dog and a cat, that are not predators. They're just gravy trainers. And we knew that it wouldn't get addressed with them, both of them near retirement in their minds. So we talked to our friend Emily at Pure Pet, and she got us a barn cat. And I don't know if, um, if, 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 if uh, Brian, you were able to insert that in there or not. But there she is. And if you'll notice the ear on the right, I guess whenever they have a bunch of barn cats that they take in to spay, they, they snip the end of the ear, and they say, that one's spayed. So that's what we got. And we're like, well, what do we name her? And Stephen's like, how about Tipsy? So, so that's her name. And um, uh, Tipsy, uh, just a skittish barn cat that all of a sudden has hatched a plan to take over our whole house. The other day, I woke up, and I heard this, I'm like, what the heck? And this cat was laying right on my head, on my pillow. And she has so charmed us that I, I can't not like her. I, she just has wormed her way into everybody's heart. And I, and I just can't help but think that um, the way she acts around people like, you know, Nigel, who looks at this whole situation as, I don't know what to do with her. At first, he attacked her, but the way he attacks is he barks at you real loud. He doesn't do anything. And she just looked at him like, I, I've seen a lot worse in the barn. And then she wanted to play with the, the other cat, and the other cat just got scared and ran off. Now she's just sort of like the boss of the place. She's not afraid of anything. And my fear was if she was like 10 times bigger, she'd probably, well, we'd be her food. Um, so, you know, cats at that scale are fine. Cats, however, at the scale of 300 pounds, a bunch of them, hungry, that's a different story. And that's exactly what was in the mind of Daniel whenever he was going back to his house that day and pondering what was on the road ahead. What's so interesting about how he responded 
that it was like, what are you going to do, Daniel? And his, his response was, I'm just going to do what I always do. I have a routine. I get up, spend time with the Lord. I'll open up my, my window. I will pray three times to Jerusalem toward, and, and bow towards Jerusalem, thinking about life in the Holy Land, knowing that my heart's in that place. I don't see any reason to change. I've been doing this for so long. That's my workout. That's the only way that I can stay in the right frame of mind for whatever it is that I've, I've had to deal with. And I've had to deal with a lot. And I've learned to have a peace that passes all understanding because that workout puts me in a place where my spiritual metabolism gets going from the things I've been nourished on that it's a day in the life. I'm called to serve the Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this space, and I'm going to go serve the Lord in my calling as an administrator. And that's that. That's, that's all you really get from him. And I find that fascinating because I can't tell you the number of times I've had my own days where I'm like, okay, now it's really piling on. And I'll put aside the workout spiritually and focus on the problem at hand. But what, I, what I've discovered over the years is, especially in reading stories like this, is that you start paying attention to the important things first. That other stuff finds a way of sorting itself out. Another way of saying this is that you learn to rest in the reality and the presence of the Lord as you trust his promises, as you trust his word, as you trust the example of people like Daniel who have gone before us, and you realize something that your God is able. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It is so key to this book that it keeps popping up all over the place. And it's a friendly reminder to all of us that whatever it is that you and I are going through or having to face that's going to require something spiritually from us, that if we attend to him first, we'll probably not only have in our mind the promise that he is able, but we'll have that sense that he is able. And there's kind of a difference because we'll be in that place where we can look at that problem and we can say, where I'm at right now in the presence of the Lord, because I worked out through my spiritual disciplines, I, I believe God's able. And I believe we'll get through this. And I believe he will show the way. And I believe that he will provide. And so Daniel, when he learned the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking for God's help. Uh, because, you know, their, their, their important job here, they have to be watchdogs for the government. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. And they said, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And this is their big gotcha moment. And they are just so thrilled that this is working flawlessly. And it would seem that all the forces at work in the human arena would probably result in Daniel's demise. 
And, and that's where we have to stop and think about the things that you and I deal with in the human arena, and we apply our own math to the dilemma, and we say, this is impossible. And yet Daniel's saying, it's not. It's not. But these guys, all they know is politics, power, manipulation, lies, deceit, leveraging power, exploiting things. But there's a God who looks at that and says, that is not the way I designed you to be. So he's not for it. And Daniel is trying to witness to the surrounding community, not only of administrators, but the population as a whole, that there is a God most high, that when you pay attention to him, your life finds a completely new sense of meaning and direction and purpose. And he recognized that God had placed him in that land for that amount of time for one purpose, and that wasn't to say, what can I do to survive until I can get out of here? It was to say, what am I supposed to do while I am here? And church, that is the question that God has for us. What are we supposed to do while we are here on this place on the timeline with whatever needs are happening out there? How are you calling me to serve? And it's been cool to see you guys step up post-pandemic when we've had serving opportunities and discover the joy of serving. And I know some of us are on the fence on that. And I know some, you know, in the past, maybe we've gotten in the habit of saying, I'm eating and I'm eating and I'm eating, but I'm so unsatisfied. I just want to eat some more. And what you're giving isn't providing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm upset. And my remedy for your dissatisfaction is a, is a one-word remedy. And I've seen it time and time again. And that remedy is serving. Because something very special happens when God connects you to a need that is, that is being addressed in his name. There is a joy. There is a sense of fulfillment that emerges out of that that takes away that discontentment. And I would say most of the discontent people that I've ran across in my, my time as a pastor have been people that really weren't serving that much. It was almost like a sliding scale between serving and not, not everybody, but, but, but for, for many, there's a sliding scale between discontentment and how much you're really engaged. And the more people are engaged, the more they know that joy, the more they see God in it and in us and in this church. And Daniel, he's in this place where he recognizes that God has a purpose for him with this. He doesn't know what it is, but he trusts God enough, despite the threat, that he knows God is able. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but even if not, I've made my peace with them, and if it's time for me to go home, it's time for me to go home. And so they said to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. But what's so interesting is how the king responded to that because he's overwhelmed with a sense of regret. 
that these guys use basically a pretense to create this response. And I, I think it all just became very clear that he had been manipulated and he had been worked, but he was bound by the law to adhere to the law and he had to put lion, Daniel in the lion's den or his credibility would be lost. And in that sense of hastiness and trying to take um, the moment and, 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 and put into law something that would align everybody around his rule, he didn't think it through. And now this is the consequence of making a hasty decision without really considering the, 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 the effect that it's going to have on, 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 on all parties. So then, um, as they went to King Darius and they challenged him on it, King Darius went to Daniel, said, I got to do it. But I love what he says in verse 16. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And I think he recognized that the track record of Daniel was so stellar primarily because of the connection that he had with his God. And that really was why God wanted him there to show a testimony to a way of life that says we have a different way with this God. And it's a good way. It's an excellent way. It is a way of wisdom. And all of these kings and people up till now have described Daniel in a lot of glowing terms, most of them centered on his character, his self-discipline, and his ability to do things exceptionally. And when they say, how does he do it? Daniel would respond, or they would know, it was his God. It was his God in the background of his life, giving him guidance and direction and wisdom, stability, anchoring his soul that enabled him to face so many things so well. And if there's ever one thing that we could use as a measure of success for a church, is that our, our people able to weather the storms, the trials, the challenges of life in, in, in a way where they not only survive, but they thrive in it because they trust God to resource them through it. And we hope to equip you in that. And the more you do your spiritual workout through worship, through reading scripture, through praying, through being in community with each other, and the more that you serve as a way of just exercising that, that, that feeding that you do, the more I think you will survive. Not only that, the more I think you will take it beyond survival and you will thrive in it and the people around you will be blessed. I don't believe that Daniel is an exception to the rule here, but rather an example of what should be. And if you look at the parallel life of Jesus in so many ways, called to do things that went against the grain, facing opposition repeatedly. And yet, in this case, Daniel is thrown into a pit. Jesus is thrown into a tomb, into a cave. But if you were to look at the pattern of how people responded to Jesus and how they responded to Daniel and the dilemmas that they were up against, there's not a whole lot of difference. 
because people that have a way of life that is after God's own heart, that will happen. I had a conversation on Friday with somebody. It was going really well. It was an acquaintance of a friend. And then the friend, uh, the, the acquaintance asked the friend, who is this guy I'm talking to? And he said, well, he's a pastor. And the conversation just turned to ice. I mean, it really did. I mean, it went from, it went from 60 to zero. And he just kind of backed off and checked out and sort of walked away. And I thought, well, that is really interesting. And, you know, I wrestled with it for a second because I'm like, okay, obviously I did something to offend him. But then I thought about it a little bit farther, and I thought, well, maybe the one that I'm associated with brought the offense, and maybe that's what this is all about. Or maybe, and this is my bigger fear, sometimes Christians, they, they can do a pretty good job being faithful, but they can't always do a good job talking to people that don't believe the way that they believe. And I believe there are a whole segment of people within our culture right now that really want nothing to do with church because the way that they have been treated by Christians has given them an off-putting sense that these are people you don't want to associate with. And I find that heartbreaking because there's so much embedded in the message that you and I have that is centered on the love of God for lost people in their brokenness. That at times we'll take those elements where those lost people are out of sync with God's purposes and we'll just cast shade on their lives by judging them and saying, you need to step up your game in some form or another. And I know that there are times when somebody looks at me and I'm having a good conversation because this, this happens to me more times than I, I care to admit. And when, it, when they find out that I'm a pastor, they check out. And it's not because my heart isn't saying, hey, I want you to be my friend. But for whatever reason, they have a sense that Christian is associated with something that they want to best avoid. And I feel like telling people, well, I want to share with you, I, I'm a pastor, but I'm a pastor with a, a smaller sect of people, but I think that are growing. That just want to bring life and blessing and peace and everything good that the good news brings to bear upon a human being that is caught up in their own lostness and brokenness. That rather than having a punitive message at every turn, recognizing that there is a, there's a gap for sure between where we're at and where God is at, but it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is it's true spoken in love that engages their heart. And I would just like to share with them, I'm not with all of those people that are so judgy all the time. I'm not watering down the reality that there's a disconnect between ourselves and God. But I do want to underscore that God is making huge efforts to help us to see how that disconnect works and why he's, he, he should be, uh, why he should have such an important place in our lives. Daniel, I don't think, went through life saying, 
I'm just going to condemn everybody as a pagan, and I'm going to display my righteousness before you. I think there were people like the kings who wanted to do the right things, saw in Daniel those characteristics and said, that's a noble person and I would like what he has. There are other people that have hearts bent on stealing and abusing and exploiting and leveraging power like these corrupt politicians in the story um, that, uh, that, that they don't want anything to do with, with Daniel or his God or Jesus because, well, it puts them in a pretty negative light if they do a little soul searching. So there are people who don't want to hear what you have to say because they love what they're doing in opposition to the things of God. And you just got to ask God to give you the grace to disconnect from them until the time's right for them to hear what you have to say. But there are so many other people like King Darius and King Nebuchadnezzar who are saying, I've, I've not really had any good examples of what it means to live a good life except for you. And I want to keep you close as a friend because I want what you have. And Daniel recognizes that he cannot compromise that because he has been so effective in showing that thing that he has, not in a prideful way, but in a way that brings life to other people. He says, I, it, it begins and ends with me prioritizing God first, even at the threat of my own life, even the threat of my own discomfort. And these guys, they don't get it. Well, as the story unfolds, the king is waiting up all night, and he's anxious and he's in trepidation. The angels are up all night, and they are keeping the lions from eating Daniel. And the governors and the satraps and all those guys, they're up all night having a celebration. They're just partying like crazy. And then the morning comes. And there's Daniel. And Darius is just blown away. And as, as we pick up the story a little bit later, um, we read in verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Because I've heard that he is able. And I need to know. And I love Daniel's response. You heard it said in a very disingenuous way by a whole bunch of government officials that wanted a law passed. And they said, may the king live forever. And then Daniel says, I think in some ways, in a spiteful tone, but in a good tone, may the king live forever. And it's just kind of ironic that he meant it and they didn't. And now, I don't know. I'm sure Daniel's thinking it can't end well because almost always in the ancient Near East, when you spoke falsely against somebody in a way that led to their their punishment, a capital punishment, 
and it was discovered that um, there was deceit in play, then the punishment would be applied to the accuser. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew what was coming. And so the, the king said, um, um, as a response, he was overjoyed, and he gave orders to get Daniel out of the lion's den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. So you just underscore that in your Bible. God is able. Daniel trusted. And then in 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, as a Christian, you cannot glory in the death of other people. And you certainly find it hard to celebrate wives and children being affected by that. And it begs a lot of questions, but I, I just want to make a, a key point here. And that is when you have people who are supposed to be leaders that are corrupt, you have fathers that are supposed to be leaders over their family that are corrupt, everybody's affected by it. Everybody is affected by it. And in this case, the wives and the kids, they're pulled into this. And they didn't really do anything except belong to those officials. They were, you could say they were their property, or those officials had authority over their lives in such a way that their decisions had a larger impact than just on themselves. It had an impact on the lives of innocent people. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? To recognize that everything that we do and, and, and the more we play a role in leading, there's a rippling effect that you don't always know or appreciate of how that affects innocent people. And it's a cautionary statement because I don't think God is for that happening because notice it's a pagan king doing it according to pagan laws. But nonetheless, these were guys making conscious choices to deceive him, and they know what the, what the fate is. And it's somewhat disturbing to imagine that people get in a space where they really don't care. But Daniel did. And it could have cost him his life, but he knew that he has a whole legacy of witness that is his story that people will, for generations, look back on and say, he didn't misstep, but rather he did what he was supposed to do. And people take a great deal of courage knowing that if he could do it because God enabled him to do it, we can do it. But the ending is just awesome because it simply states, the king decided he would say, I was wrong. I was wrong. You remember the Fonz trying to say he was wrong? Some of you guys are like, we don't know what you're talking about, Leonard. Well, don't bother looking it up because it had a shelf life. But um, there is this sense in all of us is that, that wants to never admit that we are wrong, especially a king. And yet the king says, I, I'm going to just scratch that whole decree and I'm going to take this experience and turn it not on my own ego and my own glory, but on the God most high. So he says these words, 
I issue a decree for every part of my kingdom, for everyone to hear, every nation, people, language on the earth. And then he says, um, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And he just wanted everybody to know, this is what happened. And it had nothing to do with me and everything to do with Daniel's God. And God is saying, Daniel accomplished what I hoped he would. He stayed faithful so that I could accomplish what I was hoping to accomplish in the larger frame, and that is through the faithfulness of my people along the way, I've been able to say on a much larger scale to everyone, I am the God most high. I am the God that Daniel derives everything about his being from. I am the God who affirms your humanity in ways that um, acknowledges you as made in my image and my likeness. I am the God who wants to restore you and to lead you out of darkness and out of tyrannical ways and out of the bondage of sin. And Daniel said, I want to represent that. And Jesus said, I am here to represent that. And the difference between Daniel and Jesus is this. Jesus took it to a level where he embodied within himself the pain and the sacrifice and everything legally everything that was necessary so that you and I could become reconciled and one with God, made into a new creation. Thriving human beings in Christ, even though we struggle day in and day out with external forces and even things within, Jesus is the only one who is capable of doing that. And I don't know if you're aware of that or not, because my hope is every Sunday when we gather, there's somebody who says, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. And it is my hope that if you're asking that question, we can help you to know him and to know his community of people. And then there are others of us who maybe God is saying this. Maybe he's saying to you, um, like Daniel, I'm not going to have a marathon situation happen tomorrow where I'm thrown into the lion's den but the night before, I'm going to speed read the Bible so that I'm ready. Okay? You got to decide ahead of time that you're going to work out. So when the time comes, you're ready. And when you have these spiritual rhythms, they'll create a sense of grit. Where when the problem comes or the challenge arises, you say, I know what to do. And then, like Daniel, who could have said, Darius... I'm 80, you're asking me to do what? But rather, at every place, every stage in life, God says, if I have you here on this planet, I have work for you to do. And our job in leadership is to try to ask God how it is that he is wanting each of us to engage in serving the community at large and, and serving each other. And if that's happening, then we are honoring God and doing what he calls us to do.
So as we read this story, it ends well. Because God has a way of working things together for good, despite the messiness of the situation. For those who are called according to his purpose. Daniel could have went into survivor mode and said, I just need God to get me through. But he went past that and said, I need to know what God would have me do under these conditions. I'm here to serve. My question is, are you? We're going to pivot into our, our time at the Lord's table here pretty quick. Um, and just know that as we do that, God has shown us um, so much in the Old Testament about what it means to be a follower of him. And then he's brought greater clarity to that following as he's shown us the life of Jesus. And when Jesus is at the very end of that demonstration, he gathers for a meal. And the whole design is to solidify the relationship that he has with those 12 disciples in such a way that they are bound by a covenant. And that covenant not only secures a relationship, but it also directs what they will do in relation to Christ in their future. So when we take the loaf and the cup, Jesus says, do these things in remembrance of me, not just his ability to die for us on the cross, take away all of our sin and our guilt and our shame. But when we remember him, we also think about all the ways that he served, all the people that he spoke to in ways that no one else would, all the lives that he demonstrated compassion and healing, remember that too. And so as his covenant servants, um, let's take the loaf and the bread, and as the Lord blesses it, um, let's take it together, and let's give him thanks. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your word, which nourishes our soul. We thank you for this loaf that nourishes our spirit in a way that brings us closer to you as you embody yourself within us through the partaking of it. And we thank you for this cup that is indicative of the wine that you offered to the disciples as a symbol of a reminder of the blood that you were about to shed and that you have shed so that the forgiveness of many could occur and lives could be restored and people could come to know you not only as the God most high, but as Jesus the Savior. And so, Lord Jesus, find us faithful, not only in nourishing ourselves, but in taking that nourishment and activating our spiritual metabolism through service. So we pray that you would bless it and bless everyone here that is partaking and all of our friends who are gathered in spirit online. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
want, go ahead and stand and we'll sing one song as we close. There's extra soup available out in the foyer, I guess, if you want some. Oh, yeah, they made extra for the shut-in. So if you want some soup for today, go ahead and grab some. that with you. Hope you have a nice week. Be blessed. See you next week.